divorce. And I was only, what, 38? And I was going through my third divorce. I already had my second DUI, and I still hadn't had my driver's license uh, privileges reinstated yet. And I'm a real estate broker. And I said to myself, maybe, guess what, guess what, maybe I was the problem. Maybe there was something wrong with me. And that started me on a journey in recovery going to my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that long ago, and guess what? I have been working a program every day since then, and here I am today trying to carry Mm -hmm. a message of hope to you on Easter Sunday, and I hope you're all enjoying and being safe and coronavirus-free. But you know what? Either way, if you're above ground watching this, hearing this, that's a good day. You have hope. And as long as we have hope, we can always change what we do as long as we make better choices. And guess what? I have got two very special people joining me. Now, first of all, before I get into my special guest, who has 31 years, but we'll get to that in a moment, joining me is my co-host for tonight, and his name is Lambert, and he is joining me for the second night in a row, second week in a row. Lambert, are you there? Hiya, Dan. Yeah, good evening. Happy Easter. Good, good. I'm glad you could join us. Speak loud into the the phone so we can hear you loudly. But Lambert joined us last week. He's a friend of mine. I've known Lambert probably for a good portion of the time I've been sober. And we met. He's never, you've never known me to drink, correct? Correct. 20 years of sobriety. Oh, yeah, it's a long time. So I had four more years before we met. And I did not wreak havoc in your world when I was drinking, so you you were escaped all the craziness that I could have brought to your world. I bring enough craziness without alcohol, and he's laughing because he's not laughing yeah, because well. it's funny and it's not true. It's because it is true, and yet he still has hung in there. So I appreciate that, Lambert. And again, thank you for joining us another week in a row. How was your week, Lambert? I had a good week, a lot of internal uh, duties. You know, the house is spick and span clean. <laughs> the, I'm going through all the stuff I've had from years and years ago that I've saved, and I'm trying to get rid of stuff. So um, going through it and uh, uh, either selling it on eBay or uh, giving it away or, or getting rid of it. Anyway, touch it and move it. That's, that's my m- recent motto this past week your mantra for the week, huh? That's good. Well, one of the reasons why I've asked um, Lambert to join me in my journey into sobriety is because he brings a refreshing um, approach because he, you really don't know a lot about recovery. Is that correct? Yeah, that is true. I have a lot of questions about it uh, because I don't understand. I'm naive. And you know, it's a hard journey. I mean, I can empathize with some, but there are a lot of questions I don't understand why a person won't fulfill their uh, their their insight to what they need to do. Hmm. Well, that's good. You know, and, and I guess what? Mm-hmm. And tonight, we have got mm-hmm. the perfect person to kind of answer <laughs> your questions, okay? Because I tell you what, the funny thing about this young lady that we're going to introduce you in a second here is that we've been friends for a while now. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that she was she was a friend of Bill W's, 
And mm-hmm. uh, I met her on Facebook. I met her daughter first, and I, I believe your daughter was on my show, wasn't she? I don't know. I don't know about that. I think you guys were both in the real estate business, so I think oh, that's okay. how well, your whatever. Uh, paths cross. Yes. And I yes. was looking at my Facebook post, which I always do, let you know, because I'm a big Facebook guy, but no plug for mm-hmm. uh, Facebook right here. No, no, uh, <laughs> you know, ding, ding, ding. Plug for Facebook. But you know what? <laughs> I looked, and here's this lady announcing, and r- rightfully so, that she was celebrating 31 years of sobriety. Ooh. And i got to tell you something. Mm. I Hands down, congratulations. The audience is going crazy. Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. can I introduce to you my new best friend, Cookie, from Arizona, correct? Yes, well, I'm from Chicago originally, and I have been living in Arizona for the last 20 years. Well, yay. Yay. Hey, welcome. And <laughs> you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank now, you. first of all, wonderful to be here. Did you all have a good Easter? Okay. Did you? Very, Cookie? Yes. Yes, very nice. You'll see my pictures on Facebook. <laughs> uh, but you know what? Since I've gotten back, I was gone for the weekend. My wife, uh, Martha, who's to a, you know, a who reminded me that we celebrated 11 months of marriage yesterday. Oh, Yeah, it's kind of exciting. And I go, Mike, holy Aww. cow, it's been like the best year of my life ever in a relationship. And uh, Pay attention we were... to the fact that she had to remind you of that so next <laughs> month you don't miss the gift. Don't miss oh, that. Oh, my God. <laughs> listen, I have to listen to everything my wife says, and I have to try to pay attention carefully and closely. I had to laugh because I said, you know, when I first met her, it was very novel that she, she would beat me in, in, in card games and, and board games and other games. I thought that was really cute and novel because, you know, normally I was the champion in the comp- – and, and I said that was really cute and I thought it was great. And now I have to accept it as a way of life. I go, you what? I said, well, that's why I know I love you because it's okay that you constantly beat me at everything we do. and. I can accept that, and that was, you know, if, if if I was drinking, I don't know that I could have accepted it because it was I was kind of a big-headed guy. But whatever, we had a great weekend, and I got back into the office about 4 o'clock. I'm a real estate broker, and I actually have clients that wanted to go out and look at houses today on Easter, and, Mm-mm. you know, it's a different world out there than it was before. This This family has to be in a house. And long story short, they weren't able to get into it, but I was not near. I'm not really good on my phone as other people are as far as getting into programs and seeing them, etc. So I couldn't wait to get back to my office where I could sit in front of the desk on the computer, big screen, and see it all. And so I did, I did a lot of catching up, but I didn't see all your posts on Facebook, Cookie. So... Tell yeah, me I did. Uh, Tell me about your day. Thank you. Hi, guys. Happy Easter. Resurrection Sunday is a wonderful, wonderful day to be sober. It's a wonderful day to be alive. The whole purpose of his coming was because of us, and I'm so grateful. Amen. So grateful. Amen. I, uh, I wore my hat in my house, and I had a hat. I'm a hat girl. Anyway, so I took pictures of it, and I said, I don't care if it's if I'm in the house. It's Easter. It's bonnet time. I'm sorry. So I... I took a couple of shots of me with my big old hat on, and it was a very, very quiet. I had church um, this morning on the Internet, on my computer. Our church did a service so you could see it online, and that was awesome. 
really, really awesome. I appreciate that. And it's safe, and uh, we're wishing that everybody is as safe as they can possibly be. So it was a good Sunday. I made a roast just for me. You're welcome to come over, but I'll have to hand you a plate out. (laughs) But uh, I made a roast, and I've just been chilling. You know, it's been a great day, really good day. I can remember a couple of Easter's when it wasn't like this, but that's another story. (laughs) That's another story. Well, you know what? That's what we're here about, and and I'm gonna, and I also want to, you know, mention to you that uh, my friend Lambert. Uh, we'll be asking questions from time to time. But, you know, tonight is a little bit about you, okay? Um, I wanna, We want to know about you. Your, your your experience, strength, and hope is what we call it, uh, of 12-step winning, okay? And so tell us about your journey into sobriety, and how did you get to this point? Well, I got to it one day at a time. I... Um, I think I always had an addictive kind of personality, even as a kid. I like chocolate. I like Coke. I like Pepsi. You know, and that stuff is, you know, a little, uh, it's a little iffy, but, you know, we like what we like. And when you look back on things, you just kind of see a pattern. Anyway, I was a product of the 70s. You know, I'm a hippie girl and a Black Panther girl and all that old crazy stuff. And we dropped acid and we did all that, you know, all that part of the 70s stuff. But I never really cared for it, to be honest. That was never my thing. And, uh. I never was a big drinker. That wasn't my thing. It was just, you know, I don't know, it was more uh, playing, you know, playing at this thing. And uh, when I was married, I was married young, and we used to do stuff, and my husband used to do stuff. And, I mean, we smoked weed. I mean, you know, it was just, it was more, I don't even know the word to use right now, but it wasn't that serious. Anyway, I mean, you know, years down the line, you just, you notice things. I was a smoker. Um and I think I was always easily, um, kind of, sort of, easily influenced in a way by outside sources. I I had asthma, and I remember somebody gave me some asthma pills years ago, and uh, it worked. You know, they were really good, and then I kind of started taking them kind of a lot, you know, but I didn't even think about it. It never occurred to me that it would be a problem. Well, I think I kind of got the hint one day that I was taking some pills or something and I wasn't having an asthma attack, and I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound too good. So we put that down, and I always was able to walk away from whatever. It was never a big deal. And then um, years later, cocaine came into the picture, and uh it was real interesting. Again, it was real social and fun and cute for a minute. And then uh, I got, I was part of the late 70s, 80s cocaine addicted people. I smoked cocaine and boy, I, uh, I, I found my, as they said on the old song, I found my thrill on Blueberry Hill or whatever the name of that song is. I was <laughs> caught in that uh, spiral. And I mean... I was caught. I was caught. And I didn't even realize I was caught. The first time I did it, it was no big deal, just like everything else. It was never a big deal at first till it got to be a big deal. When you realize that you're doing something by yourself, you don't even have to have company. You don't need the people anymore. It's just you and it. I struggled with that thing for a long time. I had two children, two daughters who struggled with me, with a drug addict mother. I wasn't a big drinker, but, you know, I did a little, but it wasn't a lot. Um, 
But that thing almost killed me. It tried. I always say, I like cocaine, but it really didn't like me. So I finally, after years of struggling, I went to the rooms and I went to N.A. and A.A. Oh, I didn't go to A.A. first. I went to N.A. and I went to C.A. And I sat in there, you know, and I was listening and learning and relapsing and listening and learning and wasn't learning and relapsing. And it was a hard, hard, hard time, hard time. I was real skinny, and I thought I was cute. I remember thinking that, oh, because I always had a weight issue. And I thought, oh, my gosh, look at me. I'm all svelte. Yeah, and so were my jaws. They were sunk into the back of my teeth, and I thought that was cute. Oh, the lies we tell ourselves in the middle of drugging and drinking. Oh, man, I thought I looked like somebody. Mm, yeah, well, my poor father, God rest his soul. It uh, broke his heart to see me that way and his grandchildren in trouble, etc. It was a mess. I was a mess. Um, I went to my first AA meeting, and that's why I got sobriety. I will always love my friend Greg Allen Williams, who took me to uh, my first AA meeting in Chicago at the Evans Avenue Group. Thank you, Evans Avenue. I always love you. And I remember sitting in there and because I met Greg at an NA meeting anyway he kept telling me you know you should check out these AA meetings I'm like yeah whatever okay so we went and I sat down and I remember thinking there were old people in there (laughs) because I was like young back then again I was celebrating um, 31 years I was a shorty back then and I remember sitting and I thought man Everybody in here is kind of old, you know, and they were. They were older than I was, and they were sober. They were straight up sober. They were not playing, and they told me. I remember, you know, they asked you had something to say, and I spoke my little piece. And I remember one of the old timers told me, baby, sit down. You don't know nothing. Just sit down and be quiet. And I was like, oh, okay. I was like, dang, who are these people? But they (laughs) love me till I love myself, and I love them. Today, the old timers club. I'll never forget them. They, they, they taught me to love me without anything but just love me. Just love yourself. Appreciate who you are. They taught me how to work steps. I had never, I never got it in CA or NA for some reason. I just didn't get it, but in AA, I got it. It was like, it was like a window opened, and I got it. You know, I guess, and coming through N.A. was good. That was good. I mean, it, you know, it kind of gave me a an entryway, but there's nothing like the big book. There's nothing like that story. There's nothing like those truths. Nothing. And um, I sat in those rooms with those fabulous people, and they carried me, and they listened to me, and they coddled me, and they taught me, but they didn't allow me to bring my BS. I laid it on the table, and it was good. It was good. I remember someone telling me that I was screaming and hollering one day about my dad, and my dad didn't understand me, and, oh, he was horrible, and blah, 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 and one of the guys in the meeting said, well, you're the one in here. He's out there. He's okay, right? He's not an addict. I said, no, he's not an addict. He doesn't even drink. He doesn't do nothing. They said, well, you're the one in here, and why do you think he should change? And, boy, that shut my mouth. I thought, oh, well, yeah, I guess you got a point. So 
I sat and listened and learned and sat and listened and learned and did 90 and 90 and and then some and read the book. And I don't remember it as well as I used to, but I used to love how it works because it works. And I thought that was the best thing ever. I also remember in the meetings, it seemed like I heard the Our Father for the first time in my life. And I grew up in church. I'm a Christian. I mean, I, I, I mean, we all were taught the Our Father when you were a little kid. I mean, you know, you say it kind of like rote memory. But it seemed like that opened up to me in a meeting one day. I'll never forget it. And I just wept. It was like, it was like I heard it for the first time. So I'm real grateful that. I can act. somebody even wants to hear what I have to say. First of all, that is just amazing <laughs> to me. I well, we like, do. Stop the matter. <laughs> I mean, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I'm a grandmother now. When I came in the rooms, I wasn't a grandmother. I wasn't a very good mother back then, but I'm a better mother now. I think um, the disease, I, I still say that addiction is a disease. I think that people don't look at it like that. They say, well, this person picked this up. They chose to do this. And that's very true. You make a decision to take a drink. You make a, de- a decision to take a drug. You do. I think the body's reaction sets the disease off in motion. That's what I think. And I think that it is a disease, but it it has a cure. It has a cure. Just like any other disease, there is a way. I say to get a cure because you don't have to continue to be miserable. You don't have to continue to be sick. You don't have to continue. You don't. You really don't. But the choice is yours. Just like you chose to do that, you can choose one day at a time not to do it because it doesn't happen overnight just like anything else. So I know it looks to some like, man, you just, you know, you this is what you're doing. And I know people used to say that. I'm, my daughter used to say, I don't understand, Mama. I don't understand how you made a decision. You did. You chose this. but And that was true. I made a decision at some point to do something. But I think, as I said earlier, the setup was against me anyway because of my addictive personality, that I have come to understand that about myself. Like in chocolate, chocolate is a, it's an addictive, uh, it has a, uh, like, just like coffee. Those things are addictive things, and I think we don't recognize some of those behaviors until it traps you later in something else. So I'm just, you know, I, 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 the other day I kind of had forgotten that my anniversary was coming because of all of this. It's just so much going on. And uh, my daughter actually reached out to me and she said, is your anniversary coming on the 9th? And I go, oh, my gosh, yes, it is. <laughs> Thanks. Yes, it is. And my daughter normally sends me flowers. And she said, Mama, I'm sorry I couldn't send you flowers this time because of the corona and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's okay. And she sent me flowers on Facebook, and it was so nice. Um, I appreciated that. I appreciated that. Our family life struggled. I had two daughters, and I actually got pregnant 
when I was 35 years old, and I don't know which came first, the chicken or the egg. And the reason I say that is I know the last time I used drugs or drank was April 9, 1989. That's the last time I did it. I remember it like it was yesterday. I haven't forgotten it. I haven't forgotten what it felt like. It has spaced out, you know, because it's 31 years, but I remember the agony. I remember the degradation. I remember the smell of the day. I remember it was rainy and misty in Chicago, and it was miserable, and I had been in a drug house all night, and I was miserable, and I was hungry. I don't know how I was hungry after doing that mess all night, but I remember going to a restaurant, a little restaurant. I had. I don't even know if I had money. How could I have had money? Because I probably had spent it all. But I remember going to the neighborhood store or something, and I was hungry, and I was just miserable, and the drug addict guy that we bought drugs from came into the restaurant, and he bought this great big hamburger. I'll never forget it as long as I live, and I remember asking him, could he, like, get me a hamburger or loan me $5 or something, and he said no, and I'm like, I mean, I've been shopping with you all night, and you can't buy me. He said no, and I said, okay, and I remember feeling degradation and embarrassment and how did I get here and in the middle of feeling all that anguish the restaurant man bought his sandwich over to him and it looked like that hamburger was as big as the building and it had grease dripping off of it just looked magnified to me as I sat there hungry and miserable and tired and I got up out of that store and I remember walking to home. I'd been out all night. My daughters were in the house. I remember, oh, my God, i got to go back. How am I going to go back? And I remember walking slowly down the street, and I cried out. I remember saying, God, if you get me out of this, this one last time, I ain't doing this no more. I can't. I can't. I can't. And I remember walking, and I heard, I, I, people say I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I know what I heard. I heard a voice in my right ear, and it was a male voice, and it was very low. Because God don't talk loud. He don't talk over noise and all that. I heard a voice, and the voice said, I heard you the first time you called me. You kept getting in the way. Wow. And I kind of stopped, sort of, but I kept walking, and I walked back to the spot where the drugs and stuff were at, and I knocked on the door because my girlfriend was up in there, my friend girl who I took up in there. I knocked on the door, and they would not let me in. And I knocked again, and they wouldn't let me in. I'm like, okay. So I walked a few more feet down, and I went to my house. And I remember going in the house, and my girls were at home, and I walk in, and they're looking at me like, mm, you know, yeah, here we go again. And I remember looking out of my back door window, and I saw my friend get in a car with some guys, and they drove off. From that day to this, I saw everything change. Everything from that day. The places that I used to go got raided. The people that I used to see and I used to go cop from and drink from and get high with, all those people started moving. They were like moving away or they got evicted and the place got raided. And I kept thinking, oh, my gosh. And I'm looking at this happen. And, you know, people would come by and say, did you know so-and-so's house got raided? Did you know so-and-so's house? And I'm like, what? I'm like, wow. It's like watching dominoes fall. And then I went to sleep. It seems like I slept for a month. I don't I don't remember. That was April 9th. 
So I don't remember the month of May. I don't remember what happened. But when I woke up, I was pregnant. Can I just say, <laughs> when I came to, wow. I found out I was pregnant. So I don't know if I got pregnant before April 9th or after April 9th. And God fixed that because I can't say what I did. He has to get the, the praise for this stuff. It's all about surrendering to him. It's giving him the, as you understand him. I get it. Well, as I understood it, he said, mm, watch this, sister. And my whole life changed. It just changed. Nine months and a half later, I had a son. And I always told him he was the reason I got spared. God used him to clean me up, to clean up my daughter's mother. Their mother was no longer in the street, a drug addict. My son never saw me drink drug, nothing. Never, wow. never, not once. So I'm just grateful. April ninth came and went. You know, it's just another day, but it didn't happen in 31 years. It happened one day at a time. And right. that's the truth. It happens one day at a time. You know, it's a, it's a travel, but, wow, it's like 31 years later. Get out of here. I'm like, get out, really? I will say this and shut up. This is the only thing that I have ever done successfully. I have never been a successful parent. I have been fair at best. I don't take my hat off. I haven't well, always wait, been a wait, good wait, mom. Wait, 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 wait. You know, yeah. Well, it depends on how you measure success. I mean, the fact that well, you know, you, you know, you, again, there's. It's like determining what normal is. Okay, what our normal. Yes, that's our true. normal might be, and Lambert, your normal may be a different thing altogether. That's you know. True. I just feel like this was the one thing that I did successfully, continuum, well, in my yeah, whole you life, did it. you know, and I'm glad years. about that's, it. Yeah. Fact, I forgot to so tell people story. that are listening, <clears throat> by the way, this is a live call-in oh. show, and if anybody had comments or questions besides Lambert and myself, you can call into this show and ask uh, questions either of Cookie or Lambert, of myself. The number to call in is area code 323 580 5755, and that's real time, so you can call it now if you'd like to, you know, maybe listen in or ask a question of anybody or make a comment or share a story. We welcome that. Okay, I, I, I needed to do that. I keep forgetting to do that. I'm writing these notes to myself, you know, because you mentioned uh, how it works, and that is my personal favorite reading as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And. And mm-hmm. for those of you that don't know what that is, I've read it a few times on the show recently, actually, in Lambert. I don't know if you remember, but this is uh, in the big book, which is the big book. Mm-hmm. We call it the uh, Bible of Alcoholics Anonymous. But on page, I think it's 58, I, I'm guessing again. It is. 58. It starts the chapter 3, or no, chapter 5, and it starts out with how it works. And it goes on to explain how the program actually works and, you know, and explains the 12 steps. But uh, it's a great reading, and it's a, you know. Yeah. But, but i got to tell you something. We just went through 31 years in about 20 minutes. <laughs> That's pretty fast. 31 years, 20 minutes there, girl. Was it? Uh, did I talk that long? Sorry. <laughs> no, you didn't talk long enough. I want to hear more for, oh. for 31 years. What? I want to hear more about. You know, was it easy, Clambert, Are you there? I have two. I have two questions, Dan. If you there may, there you go. Uh, allow me, uh, Cookie. I have two questions. Yes. One is, yes, sir. Do you believe? 
do you believe that everyone who has an addiction issue or problem has to get to the lowest point of their life before they change? Can they do it while they're still progressing on the dark path? And the second question is, did your children forgive you, or was that still an issue in your life later with sobriety? That is a very good question. That second question is powerful. My relationship with my two daughters um, has resolved a lot. My oldest daughter was the mama, so um, there's even a story about that, the family afterward in uh, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous that talks about uh, relationships with people who had to take charge while you were out of charge. So my oldest daughter uh, really had to take charge of her younger sister at that time, and sort of, kind of. And they have forgiven me. My baby daughter really, I don't know, she she was a lot more forgiving. And maybe because she was the youngest. I don't know. I'm not exactly sure. She was just a lot more forgiving. My eldest daughter and I have struggled over the years. And I thank God, though, after she, after I became a grandmother to her children, she was the first uh, of my children to have children. Um, turning into grandma, I think, I don't know, I think it kind of gave me a, a different leeway because she says to me, you're the best grandmother in the world. And that means a lot. Now, was I the best mom? No, I wasn't. But, you know, to answer the question, I think forgiveness comes with time and you kind of have to prove yourself, you know. But then I will also say I think you can even prove yourself, but then people still harbor how they feel and what they went through. And guess what? They're entitled to that. You know, I've told my daughter for years, you're entitled to how you feel. If you want to hate me, you can hate me. I totally get it. I get it. But I can't stay there with you anymore. Now, that is a choice that I had to make. I can't let you beat me up forever. I I remember telling my kids one day, um, I said, hey, this is the day you can cuss me out, scream, holler, whatever you want to do, call me bad names. I don't care. I'm allowing you to do this. But after today, this is it. Because i got to move on. Now, if you want to stay there, you can. And I had to make a decision because they're entitled to their feelings. They're entitled to their hurt. I was their mother. I was their protector. They weren't supposed to be my protector, you know. So I owe them that. But I can't lay in it, nor will I allow anyone to make me lay in it. Because it's a thousand years later now. And here my daughter said the other day, the eldest one said, you know, Mama, it is 31 years Wow, and that meant a lot to me coming from her. It was like a moment, you know. That meant a lot to me. The other question you asked, if I can answer that, um, it's kind of hard to say for everyone. I can really only speak for me. I had to hit it. I had to hit the dirt. I I had to feel the dust in my face and in my nose. You know, I have known people that went through came in the meetings and went straight into recovery. Well, that wasn't my story. I relapsed several times. And I think the road is a different road for everyone because they taught me what works for me might not work for you. And what works for you might not work for me. So everybody's journey is an individual journey, but we share the same agony of addiction and alcoholism. 
how we get out of it and when we decide to get out of it, that's a very personal issue, I think, if that answers that question. Do you have Excellent. to hit rock bottom? I don't know. I did. I did. The bottom of the bottom. Ooh, I was not cute. Well, <laughs> oh, in all look fairness, at me too. now. No. <laughs> I'm no, no, sorry. Go in ahead. In all fairness, though, in all fairness, you know, you hit your bottom, but there is still a deeper bottom, Lambert, and that is death. I mean, if we didn't stop at some point, it could have gone and spiraled to the to the point of no return. And that's why that's every day that we wake up above ground, we have a chance to make a difference, and we have hope. And it's yeah. our ability to make better decisions. And if we stay sober, that's the only perfect thing that I need Uh-oh. have a better chance of living a better life, and it's one day at a time. So. I, I always, I'm telling you, I, I just love, I love your passion. Who me? I always oh, envisioned <laughs> that it was walking down a path that became a funnel, and the funnel got darker, and you're still walking toward that darkness until it turns black. I think that might be a, an allegory or a something mm-hmm. similar, and that you've got to decide when it gets too dark, and you you yeah. either are going off the end into nowhere or you mm. turn around or you you come into the light and reverse your action. And as Dan said, as Dan just said, you can keep walking to that dark and wake up on the other side, you know, and yeah. that has happened. That has happened. How many people took that one shot and never came back? How many people drank themselves to death? They died. People died for real. In the neighborhood I grew up in, it was kind of a poor neighborhood. You know, we all had small wooden houses with coal furnaces. And two of my childhood friends both passed away in their 40s from Mm. cirrhosis of the liver and alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 44 and 47. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's That's not even half of where you should be. But it still does it. It still doesn't. People are still dying. They can, but we know a way out. But, you know, I think people get introduced when they're ready. <coughs> I always, they taught me, excuse me, they taught me, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, and I can, man, do I okay that. I had um, some really good sponsors, really good sponsors who didn't tolerate my as I say, girly BS, they didn't tolerate that foolishness. It's like, yeah, uh-uh, try that on somebody else. You know, remember I said I thought I was cute? Well, honey, I was not. <laughs> okay, <laughs> wink, wink, blink, blink. They were like, uh-uh, sister, back up. You know, what are you talking about? So I, I learned from the best, and I am grateful that they tolerated my BS until I got better. I love that people loved me till I loved me. Ooh, I can't even. That makes me tear up. <laughs> Thinking about it, there were people that loved us until we learned to love us. When did they just get finished talking about his marriages at before even forty years old? You know, it's deep. All oh, the stuff we've gone through, my God. But look at us now. How about that, huh? Yeah, it's pretty. Yay. Yeah, look at us now. <laughs> I mean. It's a different everything, different attitude, different yeah. life, different, everything. Uh, 
you know, you were talking about your kids. I have three kids, two daughters and a son, and, you know, I know that my oldest daughter tries to have a relationship with me. My second daughter, okay. you know, and a big part of it is I just never knew how to be a father. I didn't know how to be a family right. member. Even though I'm I'm one of 13 kids, I don't know how to be a connected family person. And one of the fascinations about my wife is that she has very strong, close personal relationship with her daughters and a lot of her family members, you know, cousins and things. And it, and it and it fascinates me because I don't know how to I do that. And and yet you still have relationship with your kids, right? Bookie? Hello, what happens here? Can you hear me? I hear you now. Yeah, I lost you guys. Okay, are you back? Okay, okay can you hear me guys? Um yeah, I, I have you. a relationship yeah. with my my daughters, I didn't know how to be a mom either, but that's something you kind of learn. I, they call it mother wit in the black community. It's like, girl, you got to figure it out. Well, okay, and I had a lot of help with my family members. You know, I learned how to be a mom. But my son, who I also said saved my life, has drifted out into the land of addiction. And you talk about broken hearted. I thought I was going to die. I thought that was going to kill me. I'm like, the enemy is just so cunning that you couldn't get me, you couldn't get the girls, you go after the one that helped even bring me here? Are you kidding me? Oh, so that has been a very, very, very hard um, ship on my heart. I think he, you know, he has excused marijuana use. I'm like, yeah, dude, whatever, you know, okay. But he got into meth, and it was interesting because primarily in the black community, Young black kids don't use meth, but we lived in Arizona, and he hung with other kids, and he got into it, and I said, well, I dealt with it a long time. I tried to ignore things that I didn't want to see. I mean, come on, I'm I'm a recovering person. I'm not blind, but I couldn't even imagine, couldn't even imagine. This was in my face. I kept thinking, my God, how did my father feel? I, kept, I thought about that. But my son made a choice. Um, he never was around me doing anything, saw anything. I've been sober all his life. But this was a choice he made, and I know he struggles with mental illness, and I have had to come to grips about that to a point where after enabling him for a very, very, very long time, I had to stop it. And I can remember hearing that little small voice saying, Mama, you need to let go because, you know, just like he saved me, he can save him if he wants to be saved. So we have a relationship, too, but it's kind of distant because my old ticker just can't take it. I just can't take it. But I love my baby. I love my son, but I can't allow him. I, I, nothing's going to blow my sobriety. I'm not giving it. I don't care. I'm sorry. That's just not even an option for me. But And I have had a lot of empathy with my child, but I had to make a decision after years of uh, tolerating uncool behavior, you know, and admittedly saying that I enabled him, I had to make a decision. And I think God kind of helped me with that because it was like, well, you know, I have to back up. So I have a relationship with my adult children. I have a semi-relationship with my son. I have a great relationship with my grandchildren. I have a great relationship with my friends who have walked with me. A lot of people have walked with me for years and are amazed, you know. So the ones we can do, we do, and the ones we can't, we can't. 
you know? How, you know, it's yeah, like... you know what? I'm, I'm with you in that, in, in the sense, and I don't know, I want to call it tough love, but I, from what I've learned, yeah. I, you know, yeah, I, I try not to be an enabler. I just, like, if you don't want it, you know, I, I mean, I just recently had a young, uh, a, a gentleman that was in his 80s passed away. Mm. He was a tenant of mine, and he passed away in the hospital, and I knew his daughter, and, and a couple of weeks ago, she called up or texted me while I was doing the show and uh, asked for help. And I was like, okay. Mm. Um, you know, so I left the show early and went to be with her, and I spent the evening with her talking about the program. She said she had been in, in and out of recovery, and and then uh, we talked about how she wanted help, and you know, she was going to call me the next day, and I said, well, I'll put you in touch, and we'll get you in the program, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Why well, didn't mm-hmm. hear from her for a whole week? So I called mm-hmm. her up uh, because I needed to clean her her father's, you know, uh, apartment out, and she was supposed to come and help me and get the things that she wanted. Well, here it is by the end mm-hmm. of the week, and I needed the place empty, so I I hired somebody to do it, and I called her up and I said, hey, you know, I want you to come by and pick all this stuff up. She goes, well, I only want mm-hmm. to come for certain pictures. And I'm like, well, no, the, the agreement was you did that earlier in the week. She goes, well, I couldn't. I was, uh, I was at quarantine, okay? And I said, well, you, you didn't pick up the phone? You couldn't call? And and she said, no, no, they told me I had to, you know, stay home and quarantine. You know what? I'm so tired of excuses. I just said, here's the deal. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you want mm-hmm. the stuff? Come and get it. If you don't, it's all going in the garbage, and it's not my problem. It's yours. And I don't know. My, she said, well, I'm being too hard, too tough. You know what? I I told her to grow up, and and sometimes that's what we need to do is tell people that just grow up. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. And you know what? Another thing: addicts and alcoholics are the best storytellers in the world. We come up with more reasons <laughs> and more reasons not than we're the best actors and actresses in the world. Honey, they don't have no awards good enough. I should have been an Academy Award winner a thousand <laughs> years ago at this. I'm just saying, you know, we can tell a story now and we can fix it, you know, and that's what you learn to do because it prompts your addiction and, they, you know, trying to be something you're not and say things to get people to be convinced to help you do this and do that. When it is a family member, it's very hard. It's very hard to walk away, but you're right. There comes a point and a time, just like I told my eldest daughter, listen, I feel you, I got you, I understand how you feel about me, I respect that, but guess what's about to happen? I'm moving on. You can stay here. That's your choice. I'm not still that person. I'm not still that life. You can stay there if you want to be miserable, stick your you know, lip out. Okay, I respect that, but you can't bring it here. I, I won't I won't tolerate it. This is what I've had to do with my son. I understand your choices. You're a grown man. I love you, but guess what happens? The buck stops here. And that was not easy to do. But, shoot, I still got to, you know, I'm not, this this was not my choice. That was his choice. It was his choice. So, you know, we have to make a decision. And sometimes we have to tell people where they have to get off. And we do. They say this program is selfish. They say that. Well, it's a good selfish. It's a good selfish. Well, you know, sometimes we used to drink and we... drug because we were selfish, and then you well, get sober because I... you're selfish. You've got to do it for you. 
got to do it for you. Well, think of, you know, I think back on how many times I should have been arrested for driving under the influence. I was stopped, mm. and somehow <laughs> I was able to talk to, you know, the officer into letting me go and not testing me and not, you know. And if I would have probably got tagged in the beginning, you know, who knows, maybe I would have found recovery sooner or maybe not. But that's when I, you know, when we talk about tough love, you know what, mm-hmm. being tough with this girl may may be this, the, the uh, one thing that may help her in the future when somebody gives her an ultimatum, she may realize they're serious because she lost something that she should have had if she would have did what she was mm-hmm. supposed to do. Mm-hmm. That's the tough mm-hmm. part. That's the part where we it sometimes is. don't see the results of the efforts that we it do. That's tough love. If we do the right thing, it is ultimately and always the right thing. Right? Mm-hmm. That's Amen. good. Well, it's what I've learned. I've learned a lot of things. That's one of the reasons why I came and did the show because, you know, nobody helped me. Nobody you know, man, if I told you how I found this program, it, it's I don't I won't say it's <laughs> embarrassing, but it was reflected reflective of the kind of life that I lived. It was um I was actually chasing my third wife and I knew that she went to AA meetings. And so the only way I felt I can get to see her was going to open AA meetings at the same time she was. And she was sitting there with her husband, and I was trying to put the moves on her. And ultimately it worked. She left her husband. Don't you see the trap? But don't you see the setup? God was setting you up then. Check that out. (laughs) God, that was a setup. Well, look how that look how that ended up. You were chasing somebody in the rooms, <laughs> and ended yeah. up in there for real later. Oh wow, what a setup! God gets well, ten, hey. you got nothing. <laughs> That's funny to me. Wow. Mm. Well, I'm grateful. That's what I always say. If nothing more, I will always be grateful for my last wife because if she didn't come into my yep. life. And help me realize how screwed up my life was. Because it was screwed up. I mean, I already had two DUIs before her and two failed marriages before her. But, you know, we are pretty mm. tolerant of crazy stuff, alcoholics and mm-hmm. drug addicts, aren't we? Thinking, mm-hmm. it's a norm. Absolutely. It's not a big deal. What's the big deal? What's a little pain? What's a little suffering? Oh, whatever. And Absolutely. it's everybody else's fault and it's not us, etc. Blah, blah, blah. But you know what? I couldn't take any more pain. It was... When when she came into my life and and turned it upside down, it was more painful than I could have possibly even imagined, and and I just said I can't do this anymore, and I can't imagine that I'm creating pain for other people to this degree. Mm. And, mm. and that's good. Maybe I believe, yeah, maybe I belonged in those those meetings, and that's how I found it, and that's how I ended ended up going into AA because I knew where they were because. I was hunting her. <laughs> I was hunting her mm, back when I was. That's amazing to me. Wow. On the prowl. Oh yeah, isn't that that's something? That's amazing. Oh well. Yeah, that's Lambert. amazing. How do you handle all that stuff, here. buddy? Well, I I, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what you know. I I understand <laughs> what you're saying, but I don't understand. I guess. Uh, 
the the journey. I mean, uh, why you did what you did before you got to that point? Why did you become an alcoholic? Why did you? Was it was it hurt in your life? Was it background? Was it family? Was it something you had to compensate for? Because for obviously you went through two marriages and other things that would have most people would have smacked him across the head and said, "Hey, look, look, see how bad, see how bad this is." Is you're going down the wrong path, son, and yet it took you quite a long time. So I'm wondering why you became addicted and stuck to it for all that time until finally you realized uh, it was just too much. You you were at the end. You were at the end of the dark road, and you said you had to change your life. What what causes it? I guess where do you get to that? How do you become addicted? What What are the causes or what are the things that may be preemptive you could have maybe changed? Could you have, though? I guess I maybe know. that's let's, the question. Let's, Cookie, let's go to you. What do you think? <laughs> uh, oh, my well, gosh, you know. guys. Could you, could you have fixed yourself before you were too far down the dark road? Or was it just well, you know it what? snuck up on like you, I, snuck up on you grabbed you, and that was it? Like I said, I think... I, looking back on my life, I was kind of an addictive personality anyway. There were things that I liked that are addictive, chocolate for one of them, Cokes, Pepsi, yeah. that kind of stuff. Caffeine and stuff is addictive. And I think that just kind of, I mean, you know, I, people don't necessarily pour a lot into that, but I would disagree because addiction is addiction. You you know, I was kind of an overeater. I was a chunky kid. I lost my mother when I was 12 years old, and I personally think that might have been the the door opener for me. I think, you know, you can go and say, oh, what I would have done different. I mean, I didn't grow up in a family of addicts or alcoholics. My parents were not, you know. My brother, I did have a brother who was an addict. I did not grow up with my brother. He was grown and married when I grew up. My parents had, like, another set of children. And... um my brother was an addict. He was addicted to heroin. And it's very interesting that the very first time I ever smoked rock cocaine, it was with my brother. Now, that's interesting. I'm just saying, who knew? And he always beat himself up about that, too. He was like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that with my sister. But, you know, life is life. And, I mean, you know, I didn't trip on that. But I think I was opened up, as I say, recognizing my addictive behavior. And I think there was a hole in my soul missing from my mother's death as a child. And I think it sent me on a path of trying to find peace or find, trying to find love to fill that void. My father did the best he could raising his daughters without a wife. And then he remarried, and I wasn't real thrilled with her, but she was a very good woman. I was just a kid and being a brat. So I think I was never happy. I was just a sad kid because I had a lot of drama, you know, from early age, not that other people don't. I'm just saying my journey. So I think I was opened for wounds to come looking for something outside of myself to fill that void. And I have always said um, my mom, I'll say this and shut up, my mom died when I was 12, and I went to see her right before she died. She was in the hospital. She died of cancer. I remember going to see my mother, and she was laying on the hospital bed, and my sister and I went to see her, and she turned her head to look at me. And when she turned her head to look at me, her eyes crossed. And that, it made me take a breath because I kept thinking, that's not my mom. Who is that? 
And I remember going in the bathroom and I said a prayer and I remember asking God, take her. That's not my mom. Take her. She's, I don't know. I feel so bad. And my mother died two days later and I carried that guilt all my life. I thought I killed my mother because of that prayer. But see how children think. So I think I was set up early on to carry guilt and trying to smooth that feeling on the inside of inadequacy and hurt and pain, I did things. I wasn't a promiscuous kid or anything like that, but, you know, I think I was looking to dull those senses. And I always say I didn't even bury my mother till I was sober. When I got sober, clean and sober, I always say that's when I buried her. I let go of that guilt. Oh, boy. Oh, that just hit me. I let go of that guilt. I think I was carrying guilt. You know, a child's prayer. I was a kid. I didn't know. I didn't kill my mother. But I thought I did. (laughs) You know, I say this prayer, and two days later, she's gone. What? Oh, so everybody has their journey. Everybody has their journey, and sometimes we don't know. You know, you ask somebody, well, what made you do this? You almost don't know. Some people were exposed to alcohol and drugs early. Some people were abused. I didn't have any of that. I didn't. But, boy, I've been real good abusing myself, you know? Interesting. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Uh, woo. We're having free day today, right? This is like, yeah. woo, I'm getting, I'm getting free. I'm getting free on Easter. Okay. <laughs> And that's just, Ooh, you know, see, my goodness. Lambert, Lambert and I want to point Sunday. out a thing that I want to point out something that 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 uh, Cookie's doing and saying right now is, Ooh. as we share our journey and our experience, strength mm. and hope, that's how we get healthy. We get healthier by mm. sharing mm. our story over and over again. And like Cookie, Cookie, you know, I when I finally sobered up, and even before I yeah. sobered up. I started on the journey of of, uh, of trying to free myself of a lot of issues. You know, um, I I didn't want to let go of alcohol, but I knew I had I knew I had issues. I knew that there were things wrong with me, and and I didn't know how to deal with it. And when people said, "Oh, I like this guy Dan," I couldn't understand why they liked me because I hated myself. I really did. I hated mm-hmm. myself so bad mm-hmm. that when the more people said they liked me, the more I'd stay away from them because I thought, boy, you guys, the last thing I want to do is to become friends with you, and then you're going to find out what I already know. and then What I really be, am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then I'm going to feel wow. even worse. And so mm-hmm. I I started this journey into, into self-recovery through some workshops, and I can't believe how many issues and things that I had – and so when I entered into the program of recovery for the first the first year, Cookie and 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 Lambert really, and and I was 38 years old at that time, 38 going to 39, just going through my yeah. third divorce, blah blah blah. You know, I was a business owner, but I'll tell you what, I did more crying that year than I had done mm. in my entire life because here I finally. No longer had to keep up all these images in 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 in, yeah, in a group of people. I could be honest in myself. Now, if I if I told you they all welcomed me and embraced me and said what a great guy you are and keep sharing, that's a lie because I scared the hell out of most of those people <laughs> because of my raw feelings and emotions. Okay, okay? and a lot of them 
stayed on the other side of the room. When they saw me sit at a table, they got up and went to a different table. They just did not want to deal with me, and that's okay. I Fortunately, I had enough of something. I don't even know what, but I probably I just had enough of me being me that I had to I I had to get rid of this stuff. I had to grow because if I didn't, you know, the the wreckage of the past could have been a projection of my future and I didn't want that. And I knew that I had to change things. You know what is they say things change when things yes. change. Yes. Yeah. That's a saying that we have. Things change when things change. It's the same words sad but if you if you listen to what it says things change yeah. when you change things when you do things yeah. differently if you always do what you always did you always get what you got you know well this is a short you get version what you of got. It. That's it. That's it. and and i knew i had to do things differently and the first year i grieved i i grieved for all the loss of love in my life of all the mm-hmm. mistakes that i made in my life of of how I pilfered away love and caring people, and you know, I, I I grieved. It took a while before I could grieve the child in myself that was lost. Because mm. Ooh, that's powerful. One of the things that we learn is that when we pick up a drink or a drug, we usually emotionally stop growing. That's correct. And even though I was 38, I was still a teenager. Even younger than a teenager, when I when I sobered up, and I had to help mm-hmm. that inner child grow up and catch up with the rest of my adult person. Mm-hmm. Now that the challenge I have on a day to day basis that I still want to be a young kid, but I don't want to be misunderstood as a uh, a reckless adult because I think I could still have fun and be young and youthful, but I don't want to be overly serious like some of these people are. They just, you know, mm-hmm. I can't stand to be around a lot of these people because they're way, way, way too serious. Chill out. Life isn't meant to be all serious. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a balance that we have to look for. Now, I'm going to take a, just a few second break here and remind people, anybody that's listening, you're listening to the Road to Recovery here on Blog Talk Radio. I'm part of the Link Local Network of Broadcasting put together by a guy named Fred McMurray, and uh, he really doesn't get involved with my show very much, but we've been doing the show. We're, we're finishing up our eighth year. When we get into May, that'll be the start of our ninth year of broadcasting, and we've done this. I've done this. When I say we, it's not just me. It's, it's like a we program in recovery, too. I, I can't do this by myself. But I've been doing this show because it helps me. And if it helps anybody else out there, like people like you, Lambert, who don't know anything about recovery and would like to learn, uh, people like yourself, Cookie, who have a gift and, and a story to continue telling because you made it. And it's good to know that people can live life without drugs and or alcohol. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I, for one will be the first to say that if I could go back and relive my life without drugs or alcohol, I certainly would, okay? Because drugs and alcohol, while I had a lot of fun and a lot of a lot of good times, you know what? It was not worth it because the pain and the everything else that went along with it was far too great of a price to pay. And it, it, when I put them side to side, hands down, I'd rather have stayed sober and 
you know. But on the other hand, I truly believe, and I was talking about this with my wife this weekend, okay? She goes, just imagine what your life would have been like if you didn't ever get caught up in drinking. And number one, she and I probably wouldn't be together because my road would have been a totally different road. And Mm -hmm. where it Mm -hmm. went, who knows? But what I said to her was, but honey, God had plans for me. God had plans mm-hmm. for Cookie and, and Lambert mm-hmm. for each and every one of us. And mm-hmm. we are mm-hmm. right where we're supposed to be in our lives right here, mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so instead of looking in the past and saying, oh, regrets, 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 I'm glad I made it. I'm glad I woke up this morning and said, hey, I got another day of life. Now, will I be around tomorrow? No clue. Now, I'm not even worried about it. If my if my life ended today, I had a good run. I had a, mm-hmm. AA gave me 24 years, 7 months, and 12 days more than I thought I deserved because I really wore out my welcome mat by the time I got sober. I mean, I don't know how much more else I could have taken. I was too I was too chicken shit. To kill myself, and that's probably the last option I had available to me besides recovery, because I had burned most every bridge I had. You know, I was spiritually defunct, morally defunct, uh, financially defunct, everything you can imagine. I didn't know where to turn, but I didn't have the courage. And and Lambert, we were going to use tonight's show to talk about courage. I didn't have the courage to kill myself. Okay, and thank God I didn't have the courage to kill myself. Because look at what 24 years, 7 months, and 12 days later, what my life looks like today. And it's such a turn, of, a, a role reversal from that point. And, and Cookie, I'm hearing the same thing from you. Okay? Oh, yes, sir. You're not the same person you were 31 years ago, correct? No, not even close. Not even close. No, not at all, really. Oh, I have two questions. I change my hair a lot more now too. <laughs> my kids, my kids always say, "Mama colors their hair all the time." We wouldn't know if they would say, "My girls tease me all the time, Mama." What when we do FaceTime and stuff? They go, "Uh, what color is your hair today?" I don't know. I you know, cause I can. You guys, come on, give me a break. Why not? I'm a girl. I'm a girl. <laughs> Oh, but it's nice to do stuff. I can be a girl. I can, I can be well normal. I put that in quotes. I can be normal. It's nice to have stuff too. I'm sorry. I spent a lot of money on drugs and alcohol and stuff. I didn't have nothing, and I don't care what nobody says. Having something is better than not having nothing. I can remember selling my clothes. I remember that. Oh my lord, good. I used to have nice stuff, and I would sell it. And what would I do with it? I mean, I might buy some things, but I was buying drugs. Oh, Lord. It almost doesn't seem like the same girl when I look back. Well, I guess it isn't. I'm not that same person. I'm not. The things I think I did, I'm thinking, wow, how did I even How did I even do all that? I don't know. <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. God never left me. I left him. So that's what saved me. I get it. And I know people, a lot of people don't believe, you know, whatever you choose to believe. Okay. I know I was covered. I, I, it was not me who did it. I know that. The only thing I did was cry out that day. I had cried out before. I remember. 
But I, I don't know. I guess I was serious because he told me I heard you the first time. I was like, wow. And, man, I guess he said, well, she's tired now. This is it. Okay, close doors, and the doors just start closing. I'm in business. I'm in business. I was tired, man. I was tired. Tired. Tired of being tired. Tired of being an embarrassment. Tired of lying to my kids. Tired of lying to me. You know it's a trip when you lie to yourself. How can you lie to yourself? You can't. I would tell myself, I'm never going to do this again. <laughs> so you know I meant it if I told me. Yeah, right. You're right. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Lambert, hey, hey uh, Lambert, what were your questions? You had two questions? But my, all right, my questions, uh, Dan. All right, let's mm-hmm. say I'm listening to the show and I am currently an addict. I am in the bad, bad ways. Uh, you said that you think God has a plan, but from my point of view, I could say, well, you're already recovered. You're in happy land. You can say all those mm-hmm. good, wonderful things. God has plans for you, but mm-hmm. he doesn't have any plans for me. I don't even think he knows mm-hmm. I exist. I think he hates me, in fact. I don't have mm-hmm. – I'm worthless. So there's something that, uh, you know, how does a uh, – how do you get to an addict to believe that, in fact, they do have that uh, possible uh, place to go, that, that rejoyful uh, point where they can say that, yes, God has a plan for you, but you have to help. And, and I guess mm-hmm. the second thing is, is this journey to recovery always a one-person journey? In other words, can can is everyone else – useless in your journey your 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 spouse your parent your siblings your children in other words this has to be a solo event you have to do it and you have to do it for yourself and you pretty much have to struggle through it and do it on your own because you're not going to listen to anyone else is that true mm. man there's a lot of mm. questions you asked there in the short <laughs> hey dan that one's on you <laughs> That was deep right there. Mm. Well, and you, you asked a lot of questions. First of all, let me let me point out in the 12 Ooh. Steps of Recovery in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know what the very first word is? Take a guess. Step one. When you I, say step one, right? Mm-hmm. I. What? Go ahead. I'm listening. What? I. I good, must. Good. I have to. I should. Good, good response. Good, that's a good answer. But it's not the correct one. The correct one is we. 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 Okay. okay. That's the first word in the twelve steps of recovery. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, and that our lives had become unmanageable. Now that twelve steps can be applied to anything, and that's what my sponsor said. I am not only powerless over alcohol, but I'm powerless over the weather. Mm. And just about mm-hmm. everything else except one thing, and that is what I do to choose, my choice. That is mm-hmm. my free will. That is what I can control of what control. I do. I can't control anybody or anything. I am powerless over everybody. But it's the first word being we emotionally set me up to, to recognize I'm not alone in this. Mm. Unless I choose to be, okay? And if I want to be alone, and there are people that say, listen, I don't want to be in a a meeting where 
people talk off the wall because, hey, listen, we didn't have a physical problem as much as we had a mental problem. Our minds were like uh, predetermined that we were going to be screwed up for whatever reason, whether it was our, our mothers dying in front of our eyes, my father kicking my mom's ass and then ours, you know, whatever the deal mm-hmm. was, okay, we were predetermined with this disease, okay, and but but going together, working together, see, there is a, a, a saying, not a saying, but there's a reading. It's called Why We Were Chosen. Remember that? Uh, mm, yes. Yeah. It's probably the one pro. I love that reading. Why We Were Chosen. Lambert, and it, and it goes on to talk about why we were chosen to be alcoholics and, and, alcohol, and, and drug addicts, okay? And people mm-hmm. go, well, who in their right mind would want to do this? We okay? want to do but it. Mm-hmm. Okay, but here's why we were chosen to be not just alcoholics and, and drug addicts, but to be recovered alcoholics and drug addicts and let me further clarify for you and anybody else listening today. I'm only sober today, and that's the only day I worry about. Tomorrow, yep. who knows what can happen? I could have a, a major blowout. I could have a mental fart, something. And, yep. and for some yep. dumbass reason, I think it's okay yep. to pick up a drink and start this process, this insanity all over again. So I can't say that I will be sober the rest of my life. I can say I hope to be sober the rest of my life. I hope that I, yep. I benefit. I've had people call in the show saying, Dan, if they came up with a, a cure, a pill that you can drink without worrying about getting drunk or anything, would you take it? And I said, why would I want to? The only reason why I drank was to get drunk. I wanted to feel that stupid feeling, that in crazy, insane feeling. I didn't enjoy the, the drink. It's not like I, I sat around and go, whoa, I really like the taste of this booze. It wasn't like that. I loved the buzz it gave me, the, 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 how it took me away from the realities of today and left me in stupid land and, and claiming that I could be uh, irresponsible and not responsible for my actions, which was so stupid because we still are responsible, believe it or not. But I had to, you know, I, I – I have to recognize that I only have today, and I look back at all the yesterdays, and I'm grateful that 24 years, 7 months, and 12 days, I was able to say no, and that strengthens my resolve and saying, gosh, that's great, Dan. You did it that far. You could do it again today, and maybe you could do it tomorrow and the next day, but I'm not going to worry about those days. I'm going to just take care of today and live comfortably and make decisions that affect and impact my life today, and those decisions will affect and impact my life tomorrow equally because of what I do today. So I focus all on today's. But there, this saying, I'm trying to find it as we speak, let me read a little bit and see if this is what I'm looking for. God, in his wisdom, has selected yeah. a group of men and women to be the purveyors of his goodness and selecting them yeah. through whom... To bring about this phenomenon, he went not to the proud, the mighty, the famous, or the brilliant. He went to the humble, to the sick, to the unfortunate. He went to the drunkard, the so-called weakling of the world. Well, much he has said to us, 
into your weak and feeble hands I have entrusted a power beyond estimate. To you have been given that which has been denied the most learned of your fellows, not to the scientists or statesmen, not to wives or mothers, not even to my priests and ministers have I given this gift of healing other alcoholics, which I entrust to you. It must be used unselfishly. It carries with it grave responsibility. No day can be too long. No demands upon your time can be too urgent. No case too pitiable. No task too hard. No effort too great. It must be used with tolerance, for I have restricted its application to no race, no creed, and no denomination. Personal criticism you must expect. Lack of appreciation will be common. Ridicule will be your lot. Your motives will be misjudged. Success will not always attend your efforts in your work with other alcoholics. You must be prepared for adversity, for what men call adversity is the ladder you must use to ascend the rungs towards spiritual perfection. And remember in the exercise of this power, I shall not exact of you beyond your capacities. You are not selected because of exceptional talents, and be careful always if success attends your efforts not to ascribe to personal superiority, that to which you can lay claim only by virtue of my gift. If I had wanted learned men to accomplish this mission, the power would have been been entrusted to the physician and scientist. If I wanted eloquent, eloquent men, there would have been many anxious for the assignment, for talk is the easiest used of all talents with which I have endowed mankind. If I had wanted scholarly men, the world is filled with better qualified than you who would have been available. You were selected because you have been the outcast of the world, and your long experience as a drunkard has made or should make you humbly alert to the cries of distress that come from the lonely hearts of alcoholics everywhere. Keep in mind the admission that you made on the day of your profession into AA, namely that you are powerless you are powerless, and that, and that only with your willingness to turn your life and will into my keeping that relief came to you. Think not that because you have been dry for one year or two years or ten years that it is the result of your unaided efforts. The help which has kept you normal will keep you so just as long as you live this program, which I have mapped out for you. Beware of the pride which comes comes from growth, the power of numbers, and of invidious comparisons between yourselves or of your organization and other organizations whose success depends upon members' powers, money, and position. These material things are not part of your creed. The success of material organizations arise out of the strength of their individual members, the success of yours from a common helplessness. The power of material organizations come from the proof pooling of joint assets, yours from the union of mutual liabilities. Appeal for membership in material organizations is based upon a boastful recital of their accomplishment, yours upon the humble admission of weakness. The model of the successful commercial enterprise is he profits most who serves best, yours 
he serves best who seeks no profit. The wealth of material organizations, when they take their inventory, is measured by what they have left. Yours, when you take moral inventory, by what you have given. How about that? I, lo- I love that. That's some kind of something, ain't it? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? I can re- I can personally reflect that before I got into AA, I like I said, I was seeking help and going to, to different programs and meetings and looking for someone that can help me get my head right because I knew I was not right. I knew I wasn't right. And I went to counseling and therapists. And I got to tell you something. I would sit in a therapist room talking with them and they were like emotionally masturbating listening to my story because this was things that they never knew about, never experienced. They were like, oh my God, I've heard about stuff like this. And here I am listening to this guy openly tell his story. And I must be incredible if he's willing to be this honest with me. And the truth is that I knew that I had to be honest for myself, number one. Mm -hmm. But number two, I hated them for hearing my story and not being able to relate to it and thinking in their pride and ego that they were something great helping me achieve something because they weren't. Okay? Mm. It wasn't until I got into AA, people that weren't counselors and therapists, when I was with the drunkard who told Mm -hmm. his story or her story about how she climbed Mm -hmm. out of the gutter and went through all the same crap that I did that I could relate to and nod my head and go, this person really understands me. This person really relates me. I actually belong here. Here, for the first time in my life, is a place that I could call home. You know? Mm -hmm. And that's the difference between people that have gone through, been there and done that, as compared to people who try to understand it, guide and coach us, that have no understanding of what we're talking about. I don't know how they can effectively do it. They try. They effectively try. And I'm not saying that they don't have a position in this world, because they do, but not in my world, at least not at that point. And what really helped me is when I finally got into an AA meeting and I felt, oh, my God, I'm in a place that I could call, I that I belong. There's other people that understand what I'm calling through. And I'm no longer that unique person that I thought I was for years and years and years. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Ooh, my eyes are tearing up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, gentlemen, I apologize. I do have to leave. I am so sorry. Please forgive me. I do have to exit. I have people coming over in about 10 minutes. Sorry, sorry. I apologize. This has been more than I even anticipated it would be. You were wonderful. We hope we connect again online. You're welcome to join us anytime. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It has been more than a pleasure. I'm going to keep coming back. I promise. All right. That sounds like a plan. May God be with you. Okay. Guys, take care. Lambert. <laughs> yes, Dan. Well, how how does another person who is an addict get into AA without 
being resistant. In other words, the, the story you told was so powerful. It's so obvious that if you've got an issue, a problem, that's where you've got to go. You cannot do this by yourself because without the power of others who understand, you are going to fail. And, and how do you convince somebody that this is the right path to get you out of the darkness and to get you into uh, a place where you can enjoy all the, the goodness that you are as a person? How do you convince somebody? How do you get them to say, yeah, I got a problem, but, well, get to the meetings. Come on. You don't. There's I don't a know. Thing that goes, there's a thing that goes along with the program, and it's attraction, not promotion. Do you understand okay. that? Yeah, it's I, I think I understand it. It's an attraction, not a promotion. See, I cannot hype you and say, hey, hey, come on, I can let you know what works for me, okay? And that's why we tell our story, because first of all, if I told, truly told an alcoholic or an addict what to do, do you know what the first thing that they would probably say is? No. <laughs> They'd probably say go jump in the lake, because whatever you tell me, if you tell me to go left, I'm going to go right just merely because I can and they are exercising their, their freedom of choice, but they don't think that you can tell them where they're coming from, okay? They're not going to acknowledge it. They're not going to acknowledge You can tell them. They, you just pull them out of jail for drunk and disorderly, and you can say to them, I think you have a problem, and they'll look you right in the eye and say, you're crazy. It just was a bad night, Okay. <sighs> And now, right. in all fairness, they say that verbally, outwardly, but inside, they're they're probably thinking you're all right, you're 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 right, you're correct, but you're not going to you're not going to give in. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to let him have the satisfaction of knowing he or she was right. I'm not going to do that. Mm. And so, screw you. I'm going to go do my only thing. Now, here's the difference. If I pick somebody up out of the jail, and I go. Hey, how you doing? And they go, hey, I'm fine, you know, and, and they're just quiet and sound, you know. I'd say, you know, I remember going through this myself. And I'll tell you what, I remember the embarrassment that I experienced, the challenges that I had, the problems that I had. And I don't say anything about them. I talk about me, my story, what uh -huh. it was like for me. And if any of that comes close to touching home, they may... That might be the seed that is planted that may be that may fall on fertile ground and may blossom into wanting more, much like when I chased my ex wife Patty into meetings, okay, I chased her in the meetings, okay, she's sitting with her husband, and i'm I'm looking at her going, "You know, come on, woman, I want to you know i you and I belong together." You don't belong with that guy. He's he don't love you like I do. That's how I thought. I I didn't see anything wrong with that. I thought it was correct. I thought it was doing the right thing. Because it was it was right for me. Not for her. It was for me. It was all about me, what I wanted for myself. And it wasn't until I sobered up and said, I can't do this anymore. I can, but I don't want to do it anymore. I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to create cause. 
the amount of pain and anxiousness that I was creating in people's lives. I started becoming aware of all the people and the problems that I created when I was chasing somebody else's wife down, a, a wife who had kids, you know, and she dragged those kids through our issues like it was nothing. And I, I was like, hey, what's the big deal? Get over it, kids. Get, you know, get a life. I'll tell you what, I still to this day am probably not a good dad. I mean, I, I love my kids, don't get me wrong. But there are times that I'm like, I wouldn't do that. You give in too much. I'm totally amazed. I am. I'm totally amazed. When I'm talking to my wife and she's talking to her grandkid and they tell me all the the freedoms they give these kids, it's beyond what I I, I can't believe it. And I often have to keep my big mouth shut because it doesn't factor in their lives and in their world. And I'll tell you what, Martha's a great person. You know her. She's a wonderful person. Yes. And if she could create more people by being her, I certainly wouldn't wouldn't mind that. Okay, me? I don't know that we need any more knuckleheads like me out there in the world. Socially uh, retarded, inhibited, but I'm not a bad person, so... You know, I stick to where my strengths are. And my strengths for me in this life through recovery. And what I get from recovery, what I give back to recovery, and if somebody gets something out of it, I'm grateful. I'm really happy. If you get something out of it, a better understanding of people in recovery. And, you know, again, I didn't want to drink. Never wanted to drink. I hated drinking. The thought of it, even before I started, was very repulsive. But I wanted to belong. When I was 16, I wanted friends that weren't my brothers, okay, that weren't my dad's fellow employer employees that were all 15, 20 years older than me. I wanted somebody my age to say, hey, you're a cool guy, and let's hang out together. And my friends, the ones that I, I, I was trying to connect with, they were the ones that introduced me to alcohol and said, here, drink it. And I thought, no. And then they go, what, are you scared? You're a sissy? And that was all I needed to push me forward into drinking. And the first one, like he, like uh, Cookie was saying, she could tell you the day. I could tell you where we were. We were in the garage in my friend's house across the alley from me. We were all sitting in his garage hanging out. And I didn't know what to say because I didn't really know these guys, but I was so happy that I would be able to hang out with these guys. And somebody handed me a beer, and at first I said, no, no. And they go, what, are you a chicken? And I'm like, yeah, okay. So I had it, and I figured, ah, I'm just going to hang on to it. I sipped a little bit, you know. And they go, what are you doing, nurturing that? And I'm like, yeah, it's coming along. And so then I drank a little bit more, and I noticed something. It took me about an hour to drink that first beer. Really did. And hmm. when I was out, they go, oh, are you ready for another one? I went, uh, yeah, I guess, okay. My inhibition started to fade away. I started to feel warm and relaxed, something I didn't, I, I hadn't been feeling. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I had the second beer, and the second beer only took me about a half hour to drink. Okay, yeah, we were out there for about four hours. 
by the time I finished my second one, I was ready for the third. I didn't have to wait for them to ask me. I was like, hey, I'm ready for another one. They're like, here, have another one. And by the time I was done with my sixth or seventh beer, I was feeling warm. I was feeling loopy. I was feeling happy. I was feeling uh, well-received. They were saying funny things and commenting good things about me, and I was loving it. And then I finally said, man, I got to go home because I couldn't keep my head straight. It was like spinning around in my steps. I said, I got to go back home. I got to go home now. And they're like laughing, okay. And I went home. And I got into bed. And that started, that bed started to spin like you wouldn't believe. It was going round and round (laughs) until I started puking everywhere. I mean, I puked up, oh, my gosh, all those beers everywhere. I slept in that stuff until I woke up in the morning. And when I woke up in the morning and I had puke all over and my head was pounding like somebody was banging on the door with a sledgehammer, I woke up and I swore I would never drink again. I knew it was from the drinking. I knew that that's where that hangover was from, and I swore I would never drink again. And you know what? I kept that promise, okay, until the next night when they offered me another beer. And I said, no, I'm just going to nurse this little no. thing, and you know. But I didn't get as drunk as I did the night before, but I definitely drank because I did not want to be excluded from my social peers, the ones that I finally made friends with. And, I, you know, if it meant holding on to a beer and sucking at it, you know, sipping it or whatever, I was willing to do that. And that's how I crept into my alcoholism. Okay? It wasn't like I welcomed it. It was like I was aware, but I didn't want to be. Okay? And I swore I'd never be like my father. Yeah, right. Okay. You know, I never physically hit anybody like he did. He was physically violent. But I was loud and boisterous and angry and argumentative. Oh, good God. I was a mess. I was a mess. We have another caller calling in. Hello, caller. Would you like to join us? No? Okay, well, jump in. No, I'm just listening. Okay, good. Well, thanks for calling in and thanks for listening. So, yeah. Dan, I have a question then. Uh, Is it true that once you become an addict, you cannot put a drink down? You can't stop till it's gone? Is that part of the problem? Once you get into the, the, the disease that, you know, if you had a fifth of liquor, Heck, you'd just drink it until it was gone. I mean, that's what you would do. Is that part of it? It's well, a slide. You can't stop it, at one. That's here. That's what we we remind ourselves that one is never enough. Okay, one is never enough. You know, one. No, let me let me take that back. One is too many. Okay, and then ten hmm. is never enough, or twenty is never enough. So. If we picked up a drink, you know, I, here, let me tell you this story. I went with my family, my wife and her daughters and their one's husband and boyfriend. We went out for uh, Christmas last year, and we were in a in a restaurant, and they took our drink order. We came in, and, we, and the first thing they do is take your drink orders. They always do. And they, my, my, uh, my wife and her daughters all order wine, okay? Um, her son-in-law orders a beer. So... 
they came up to me, and I was the last one to order, and they go, what would you like, sir? And I said, uh, well, what kind of uh, soft drinks do you have? And he starts, uh, you know, listing Coke, uh, Sprite, root beer. And I go, oh, what kind of uh, root beer do you have? And he must have understood me to say beer. So he starts reading off three or four different labels of beer. And I start laughing because there's no way that you're going to find a place that has more than two um, types <laughs> of root beer. So I realized at that point that he was talking about beers because I didn't even know the names. And I go, no, I didn't mean beer. I meant root beer. He goes, oh, we only have one kind, and that's this kind. And I said, okay, well, I have that. So as he went to get our drinks, my eldest, the my wife's eldest daughter looked at me, and she goes, so what should we have done? And I go, about what? She said, well, what if you would have brought you a beer? And what if you picked it up and drank it? And I said, well, I probably would have recognized that it wasn't what I ordered and asked them to take it back and get a new one. She goes, but what if you did drink it? What if you drank it all down? What should we have done? And I said, nothing. Hmm. And she goes, what do you mean nothing? And I said, it's not your business. It's my business. If I'm going to drink... I'm going to drink. Nothing you can do or say is going to stop me from doing that. I might hide it or something, but, you know, I have to – it's got to be a conscious decision on my own that I don't want to drink. Now, if I were to drink that – she says, well, what if you did drink that first thing? What would have happened if you drank it? And you know what the worst thing that could happen if I drank one beer and put it down? You know what the worst thing could happen, Lambert? No, no, I don't. Nothing. Do you have a second one? No, okay. nothing. No, I could, you know, if I could put it down and walk away after having one, that would be the worst thing that could happen. And why is that? Why would you think that would be a problem for an alcoholic or a drug addict to have one drink and walk away? Let me then they it. would understand that they had the power and control and they'd be able to do that in the future. And that, that would be the slippery slope. That's the slippery slope. It's what you said close. It's we would think we had the power that we could do it again. Yeah. And if we did it one time, we could probably do it again. And if we did it a second time, and eventually it would, we, would lose, we would lose that battle. Okay? Yeah. And I never want to ever believe that I can control my drinking. Because I can't, and I don't want to find out. I don't want to find out I can't. There have been many people that went back out there, and I don't know anybody who has gone out there and started drinking again that hasn't come back in with with problems, with issues. There may be people out there. I just don't know them. I've been in, I, I said a couple of weeks ago, on my 18th anniversary, which was six years ago, I went into the club to get my coin, and I sat at a table, and this guy came who I knew from when I started, which was 18 years earlier, and he came over and he sat by me, and you would have thunk he just lost his wife or his, his and he did. He was going through all this. He goes, you know what? I go, man, I haven't seen you in a while. What's up? He goes, I, I went back out a few years ago. Really? And he goes, yeah, and I lost everything again. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad it's you and not me because I'm celebrating 18 years of continuous sobriety, and I'm grateful. And I needed to hear him say that because, who knows, after 18 years, some people would feel empowered going, well, I managed to make 18 years. Maybe I can pick up a drink now and 
and do it. And that's the stinking thinking that we've got to keep out of our heads. There's nothing good that ever came out of me drinking alcohol. And why would I even care to want it again? Again, I told you I didn't care for the taste, okay? Mm -hmm. And I only wanted to get buzzed. So if I can't get high, why would I want to do it? And that's how my brain thinks. So when we talk to people that understand how our brain actually works, our physical brain, how it works, we create neural paths of actions, and we reinforce it by doing it over and over again. So all those actions of thinking about a drink, picking one up, and doing it will bring us back to that neural path if we pick up a drink again because that path never goes away. So we have to create new paths, but we have to always be aware that those old paths still exist, and if we don't watch it, we could fall back into those old neural paths, which would say, hey, you got drunk, you got a good buzz, it was fun, do it again. And it would stop short of all the consequences that I would have to accept if I did that. Now, do you understand? Wow, that was a good answer, Dan. Thank you. Very enlightening. Yes. I'll tell you what, going through what I went through, okay, I'll be candid. I believe the number one reason that I drank and became an alcoholic was because I I was looking for love. I, I, I needed love. I wanted love. I didn't know how to get it. I was misunderstood. My My concept of love was not what I have today and what I share with my wife today, I would never have believed that that's love because I didn't even know that what we have existed because I didn't see it in my own family. I really thought to feel loved, somebody had to have sex with me and it had to feel good. And if it felt good and they gave me sex willfully, then they loved me. That's how I thought love was. And that's what I sought with alcohol, is to have sex with women so I could feel loved. And when I finally sobered up, I realized all those years and all the many women and wives that I went through and had sex and good sex and bad sex and sex, 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 but I never really, truly felt loved. Long and consistent and and I said, I recognize, I had to, for, for some reason, God helped me recognize and realize that that wasn't the right kind of love. And so I sobered up and said, I'm on a quest to fix myself. And I have to strip myself down and get rid of all my bad ideas, thoughts, habits, habits, and and develop new ones that are better and more positive and and it wasn't going to happen overnight it took me a long time it was a long journey and there was a lot of pain in that growth but you know what i stayed the course and i i i knew that i shouldn't drink because if i drank then i would lose the foothold i had climbing that mountain and i would slide all the way back down like what perseus wasn't that Perseus that was rolling the ball up the hill? Do you remember <laughs> the, the Greek myth? 
I'm not sure if it was Perseus, but there was a gentleman that was pushing a ball up the hill, and he would get it almost to the top, and he'd lose his footing and slide all the way back down and have to start all over. And that was his eternal quest, is constantly trying to push that boulder up the hill and never achieving the crest because something always happened, causing him to slip and fall back down. But, you know, when I think back on my life, as many times I fell down, probably the the biggest uh personal characteristic that I had that I'm grateful for is that I kept getting back up and trying again. But as I did it sober, I tried it differently than when I drank. And when I drank, I kept doing the same thing over thinking, I just found the wrong person. If I found the right person, this would all go together. But when I finally sobered up, then I realized that maybe I was the problem. Maybe I had to do some changing about who I was so that I could be a better person and grow. And that was the hardest thing because I had to accept that I wasn't the together person that I thought I was for all those years. That was very humbling. But you know what? I did it in the 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 uh, emotional womb of an AA meeting and AA people. And I'm going to tell you, some of them were cruel. Some of them were hard. Some of them were were what I would not want to be around. But I I, lo- I learned different ways to handle that. When When somebody was mean and cruel to me, because guess what? When you sober up a drunken horse thief, what do you get, Lambert? A horse thief. That's right. They're still a horse thief. It's just that they're sober. And I was still a horse thief. I had to change from being a horse thief. I stopped being a drunken horse thief, and now as a horse thief, now I had to stop being a horse thief, and I had to learn how to not be a horse thief. And believe it or not, being around all those different people, I learned so much. I learned what I didn't want to do, what I didn't want, what I wanted And I stuck with the people that had things that I wanted to be like. They had personal characteristics that I liked. And it wasn't without challenge. It wasn't without struggle. But you know what? For whatever reason it was, God gave me the the ability to to keep going. And, And did I make all the right decisions? No. But, you know, when I made a bad choice, I didn't have to live with it forever and ever like I did when I was drinking, trying to make it work, trying to make it fit. I'd say, this is a bad fit. This isn't go- This isn't working. Maybe I had to try something different. I had a sponsor for 12 years, the first 12 years of my sobriety. And I called that guy almost every day. We were pretty close friends. But he stopped being my sponsor because I was being as honest I was being honest, not as honest. I was being honest with him all this time, and I came to realize that he wasn't being honest and open with me. And that's okay. That's the way he wanted to do it. But I decided that I didn't want to be around people in my life that exacted honesty from me but couldn't give it in return. So after 12 years of being my sponsor and being very close, and he bought a house for me, and he sold the house from me, and and I, I can't even begin to tell you all the other things that we've gone through together. But I had to let him go, and I said, 
I can't be your sponsee anymore. You cannot be my sponsor because I don't want what you have anymore. You can't give me what I want most, and what did I want most? <laughs> Excuse me. Live show. I wanted it, honesty. Right? You, you, That's you what said, I was looking you for. Said earlier, you said earlier in the show that, that it's all about choices, that you decide. You have to decide. It's your choice whether you drink or don't drink or become sober or stay an alcoholic or an addict. So is that a, do you get better at choices when you sober up? Well, yeah. I mean, because I'm conscious and aware. I mean, when I drank, I knew it. I'll, I'll be the one of the first to tell you. I knew for the most part what I was doing. If I did bad things, I knew I was doing a bad thing. I just didn't want to accept responsibility for it. I said, well, you know, you're drunk and what the hell, What you know, big deal. Okay, you just write it off that you're drunk. I mean, I did that. But I, I knew I was making bad decisions. I knew I was doing bad things, and I didn't care. But when I got sober, I knew I was making some bad choices. But it bothered me so much that after a while I stopped making those bad choices. I don't who, – who wants confrontation and challenges in their lives? Not me. Okay, after 24 years, I didn't want it anymore. After – and it took me, oh, God, 10, 12, well, 12 years to let go of my sponsor. He wasn't like that just at the end. He was like that the whole time. And I found out things that he wasn't being straightforward with me. He was always, he always, in fairness to him, he always appeared, and I never doubted that he put my interests first and foremost. He was so there for me. I, I I believe that. But he wasn't living the life he was preaching, and that bothered me. Okay? Mm-hmm. I didn't Hypocrite. be around Hypocrite. someone that says, do as I say, not as I do. And when I hear those words come out of my mouth talking about him, then it reminds me that I need to live the same life that I want to help other people to live. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. It's tough in today's world. It's tough when people almost expect you to lie. There's an Oh, hypocrisy runs rampant, that's for sure. Yeah. They expect I mean, you know, and but what do we need most like like with this coronavirus? What is the one thing that we need to know the most? We need the facts. We need to know exactly what we need to do and how to do it. And what we need to do to stay and keep on, on track. Okay? And until we get that, we're not going to get it. Okay? And I want that in my life. So if I want it in my life, I need to give it to other people. And what I've learned is that, like with my with this guy, he was my friend. He's still my friend. I still call him a friend. I just won't call him a sponsor because he he just, I don't know how his life is now. Maybe it's different. Maybe it's changed. Maybe, but it's okay. He lost that opportunity back then. Sometimes you'll never get it back, or sometimes you may. You may have that opportunity. We don't know. Okay, so you have to, you know, it's like going fishing. You may get one bite. It might be the one bite of the day, and if you're not prepared to, to, to you know, 
set the hook when it's time, you might lose that fish and you'll go hungry. And the, I could use that, the, you know, that, uh, uh, what do they call those uh, uh, stories, I guess. I forgot the name of it. And next antidote. You could use those antidotes. A lot of things, you know, repeated and over and over. If you are honest and forthright, this is what I've learned. If I am respectful to you, okay, I have a right to demand respect in return. Now, if you do not give me respect, I can't go and change you, but I can say I don't want to be around you anymore because you don't return respect. You don't give me respect. And I've been respectful to you, and if you can't give it back to me, that's okay, but I can't have you in my life. And that's what I said to my friend. I can't have you as my sponsor because you don't get it. You don't, and and I remember telling him, he came and lived with me when he was going through his divorce that I never knew they were having problems. He always talked about what a wonderful life he and his wife were having until the day that he moved out and needed a place to live. And he came and lived with me. For about a month. And then he dumped me because, number one, he didn't like our heart-to-heart talks that we had every day because it wasn't just a phone call. It was we were hanging together. But the other part of it was my house wasn't as nice as somebody else, and they gave him a better place to live, and he wanted he wanted the better place to live. I'm like, go for it, Dad. That's okay. You know, why am I sitting here worried about your comfort when – You'd rather be someplace else. Go for it. Go live someplace else. <laughs> and and what? And then try to maintain a relationship like we had? Uh, hardly. It's not going to happen. You know, his priorities and mine weren't the same. But that's okay. I didn't have to get angry with him. I didn't have to hate him. I just had to let him go and just say, listen, it was messing with my sobriety. And that's how I make choices today, Lambert. It's based on well, the- how it affects my sobriety on a day-to-day the, basis. The The bottom line is, though, the program works, the 12 steps work, the big book works, and if people get into the program, they will they will find their way. A sponsorship helps a lot. Some are better than others, but basically getting into the program is the way to become sober. It is. And, and you know, I have to laugh because – I had somebody referred to me, um, uh, one, of the, one of the therapists I went to referred somebody, one of his clients to me and said, this Dan would make a good sponsor. And so I was talking with this guy, and you, I, I could tell that he was having a hard time relating to me because he's a husband and a father. And um, I'm a little bit stark. And we were talking, and <laughs> I said, you know what? <clears throat> You know, it's it's like a pair of shoes. Just because they look good doesn't mean that you should wear them, you know. And I said, just because somebody said, hey, I'm a good sponsor, doesn't mean that you should stay with me if it's not working for you. You have to find the right fit. You have to find the, the one that works for you. But don't cheat yourself and find a pair of floppy slippers that don't that don't fit, but just because you don't have to be – worry about keeping them shined or anything like that. And 
you know, he went, he said, Dan, I found a, a guy I, I met at a meeting, and, and I'd like to keep using him as a sponsor. I said, go for it. You know, that's, if it works, that's what you got to do. You know, and if nothing else, maybe I directed him to that guy and helped him out. And if nothing else, he may find that uh, he's struggling and he finds that I'm still working my program, and maybe it'll keep him going forward. I don't know. You know, we're coming up to the end of the show, ladies and gentlemen, and I want to thank everyone for listening tonight's show. It was a, you know, it's Easter, and, you know, Easter is a reminder of renewal. It's a reminder that we may have been dead, but we can be reborn. And I'm going to just say it. Jesus is my higher power, and he is what gives me all the strength to go forward in my life, and I'm grateful for that. And I do want to say one thing. I thought Jesus was angry at me as a kid, and I learned working my program that all Jesus does is love me. He has his arms open, and he says, I love you. I forgive you. Come to me. Let me love you. And so if you really want true love, open your heart to God, and you'll find something incredible. Hey, we're going to talk more. Lambert, we're going to end the show we have to come up with a topic for next week. Uh, I don't know. We can we can expound on this courage one because I don't know that we talked about it enough unless you feel we did. But um, this was a great show. Thanks for participating and being part of it. Thank you, Dan. Yeah, we'll talk during the week. Uh, I want to thank our callers and listeners, everybody that was in. Cookie, I know you're not listening. But uh, you are incredible. Anytime I can get somebody on here with any type of experience, strength, and hope. If you have one day of experience, strength, and hope, call me. I'm proud of you, and you should be recognized for doing it one day. You are the most important person in our lives, the one that has the, the least amount of clean time. Because it's, it's scary, it's tough, it's difficult, but it's worth it. Keep up. Keep doing what you need to do. If you need to reach me during the week, you can call me at 630 630- Nine one eight six one two nine. I have an eight hundred number. One eight hundred. I ask you. That's one eight hundred four two seven five nine six eight. Or email me at Daniel D A N I E L at D A A R E dot com and reference the road to recovery. If something I could do to help you, I will. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next week on the road to recovery. Good night. <laughs>